This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning, Bridgeway. How are we doing today? Everyone doing great? Like three of you. Awesome. It's great to see you here today. I'm excited to share with you. As Pastor Mike said, we've been in this series called Rhythms. We're looking at these habits, disciplines, these patterns that we can orient our life around that can truly lead us into a closer relationship with God. We're basically three down, four to go. We've covered uh, the rhythms of having a daily devotional time, of incorporating uh, a conversational intimacy with God. We call that prayer. And then last week we looked at repentance. I'm eager to jump into our fourth rhythm this morning, but before I do, I want to make a a quick mention. Uh, If you didn't catch it, you might have noticed a new face on the stage right over here leading us this morning in worship. Uh, That man's name is Eli Cowling. He's actually sitting right over there. Eli, can you give a big wave from where you are over there? And yeah, you can put your hands together. Give him a nice bridgeway welcome. It is great to have Eli here with us today. Uh, Many of you know we've been uh, in a search process for a new worship leader, and Eli is part of that process. Uh, He's kind of going through the steps with us today. He'll have some meet and greets this afternoon, as well as some interviews with our elder team, and uh, just really, really grateful for him. And his fiancee, Rachel, is here with him as well. And so again, just excited to have him here today. Uh, But as we jump into this rhythm this morning... I have kind of an odd request uh, to start things off. Does anyone, I need a little bit of cash. Does anyone have, got your attention with that. Does anyone have a $2 bill? A two, you have a $2 bill. Okay, well, actually, I was actually expecting that someone wouldn't have a $2 bill because they're kind of rare, are they not? Uh, it's kind of an odd thing. In, in fact, you might have one. Uh, we used to collect them when I was a kid. They were a much more uh, recent, or much more readily available denomination. But the $2 bill is actually pretty hard to find. Uh, they stopped printing it in 2017, and I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, but what you might find even more interesting, because you're familiar with maybe the 1 and the 5 and the 10, but did you know at one point in U.S. history we actually printed a $500 bill? Can you believe that? bill, President uh, McKinley was on the face of that. That's still in circulation. You may have one of those if you're a collector. Now, not to be outdone, there was actually the $1,000 bill. And uh, history buffs would notice that this is uh, President Grover Cleveland. He was actually our president, 22nd and 24th president. Uh, This denomination got discontinued in 1969, uh, basically because of inflation. Back then, it was hard to come up with $1,000 and even harder to try to make change at the grocery store. So they stopped that in 1969. Not to be outdone, there was actually a $5,000 bill, President Madison on that. A $10,000 bill was in circulation for quite a while. And get this, uh, there was actually at one point a $100,000 bill in circulation. President Woodrow Wilson is on the face of that. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands if you actually have that, because it's, uh, it's highly illegal. If you had one of these, you would be thrown in jail for fraud. Uh, the government has actually believed that they have collected every single one of these that was ever printed and in circulation. Now, I say all that because I know some of you here this morning are like, well, Pastor, it's odd to even talk about paper currency, right? I mean... Haven't we moved on? Hasn't our world moved towards cryptocurrencies and and digital currencies? I mean, it seems kind of odd. And yet, 
I think there will always be a fascination with paper money. I think there's something about the color of money that just kind of gets us all interested. And I, in the beginning, asked if you had a $2 bill, but I actually have something for someone this morning. In fact, uh, I've been wanting to do this for a long time. I actually put something right here, if I can find it. And uh, I've said before that it, it pays to sit in the front row, and nobody sits in the front row. It's the strangest thing. Uh, I taped it up super tight so it wouldn't fall and get lost, but uh, there's actually a $50 bill right here for whoever would have sat right here this morning. And uh, isn't that funny? There's tension in the room. Some of you are like, where did that 50 come from? And should I be looking underneath my seat? You shouldn't. Um, but the question maybe this morning is not so much where did this come from? I just showed you where it came from. Maybe the question this morning is, is what do we do? Where does this go? And I want to talk, and I really want to practice this rhythm myself this morning. And so I know that, as Jesus said, it is far better to give than to receive. And so I'm going to practice this rhythm that we're going to talk about, and I'm going to give this to Sally. She didn't know I was going to do this. She actually almost gave me a $2 bill to start the message, and she gets to leave here today with a 50. And you may think this morning that all I want to talk about is money, but what I really want to talk about is this rhythm of sacrificial generosity. This is our fourth rhythm that we want to discuss. We believe that this is a habit and a pattern that can lead you into a deeper and closer relationship with God. I believe that these words, sacrificial generosity, today could also be expressed as grace-giving. And you'll hear me refer to this throughout the message, and I'm going to come back to this at the end as well. The ability we have to both live by grace and then, and then return that grace uh, in the world in which we live in. Now, some of you, I can imagine, are, are already a little bit caught off guard. You might be feeling a little bit uncomfortable. What is this guy doing? Do I come back next week and maybe find an iPad under my seat or something? Uh, probably not, but I want to put you at ease. In fact, I want you to relax because this topic of grace giving is not at all in any way me trying to get something from you. In fact, um, I don't believe it works best that way. I, I don't do guilt. I, I don't do shame at all. And, and in fact, I, I don't want to get anything from you. In fact, I, I just want something for you. I, I want this to be a, a life-giving message about stewardship. In fact, I want to begin by sympathizing and maybe even apologizing for some of you. If you grew up in a church or maybe you spent some time in a church and it just seemed like all they ever talked about was money. It just seemed like there was always this ask for money and more money and money on top of that. And it, it just doesn't motivate me to operate a church that way. In fact, um, I can kind of be a bit cynical and say that I think that there are some churches that they operate by, by what I call the butts in the bucks thinking, right? They kind of have this mentality that the more butts are in the seat, the more bucks get collected in the offering and I'll just tell you, that just doesn't motivate me as a pastor. I believe that there's far more grace to go around uh, than any of us deserve, including the resources in the church. In fact, I rarely ever talk about money. This is sort of uh, a bit unprogrammed because I did talk about money in September, and many of you said, well, gosh, you haven't talked about money in a long time. And part of that is because I believe that this conversation is very personal. In fact, um, I come from a kind of a background of, of helping people with their money and with their wealth. I was a financial advisor for a number of years. I, I managed lots and lots of money. About $90 million was 
uh, kind of under our management at the time. And, and yet when it comes to money, I, I've learned that your money is personal. And you have this autonomy to do with it, oftentimes, what you want. And the responsibility is to act according to what God calls you to. And so as a person, I am responsible for one person, and that's me. But as a pastor and a teacher, I'm also responsible for teaching about stewardship and helping you as much as I can to care for the resources that God's given you. I think in all the years, in all my experiences with money, I would say very simply that money tells stories. And I could probably tell you lots and lots of stories from the stage. But money always tells us stories that fall into really just three different categories. There are stories with your money that you can tell about how you spend your money or how you save your money. Or there are opportunities to tell stories with how you can, can really invest your money in the kingdom of God. This idea of sacrificial generosity and grace giving. I want to look at one story this morning that I think illustrates sacrificial giving. And it's found in the, uh, the book of Mark. If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 12. I think this story of all the places we could turn in Scripture is, is the most over the top. In, in fact, you read this story and it's really clear the point that Jesus wants to get across. And it's all about sacrificial giving. We're going to read about a woman, a widow in this story, who actually goes to the church and gives her offering. And it's a public event. Everyone sees it happen, especially Jesus. Jesus takes note of this gift. And it's not coincidental that this is happening in Jerusalem, and in just a short time, Jesus is also going to give a gift. And it's not just for the church. It's going to be for all of mankind. Jesus is just days away from uh, giving his entire life, his body, as a sacrifice. And his life would be a sacrifice of forgiveness for all sins, and he's preparing himself to do that. In fact, um, it's interesting because last week I talked about how Pontius Pilate was this man who was a ruthless killer. He was the governor of Judea, a Roman governor, and, and we find ourselves in this story, Jesus preparing himself to also be uh, given over as a sacrifice by, through the church, but by the hands of Pilate. He will be hung on a cross, and it'll be a trap that'll be carried out by the church. But all the way up until that moment, Jesus is teaching, and he's teaching on what I think is, is maybe his most important topic, and that's the topic of money. I mean, if you think coming to church this morning, hearing a, a sermon on money is unusual, then you would have found it very unusual to be around Jesus. Because Jesus talked about money and wealth and possessions a lot. In fact, almost half of his parables all deal with money. About 2,000 references Jesus makes to money and greed and possessions. I think very clearly what Jesus knows is that the human heart needs teaching, needs instruction on how to be stewards, how to handle the money we've been given. So, we're going to read from Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 41. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. Now, this story is simple enough to follow. It's kind of easy to see where the, the storyline is going. 
I think there's just some interesting things about what's happening in this text. In fact, I think the first thing that's interesting is, well, Jesus is people watching. I won't ask for a show of hands, but do you ever people watch? You know, especially if you're traveling or you're in a place you haven't been before and there's just unusual people and you find yourself just sort of watching them. I, I kind of imagine that's what Jesus is doing. He's parked himself right outside the temple and he's watching all these people come into their church in that day. And he notices certainly there are people with lots of wealth, lots of riches, and they're making their offering. But then he notices this woman. She's a widow. In fact, two times in the text it says that she's a poor widow. And it's really interesting because it's unnecessary to call her poor. If she's a widow, she's already dirt poor. And theologians kind of notice that if Jesus would have used this word poor and widow, she must have been like literally the poorest of the poor widows. Widows in that day uh, were basically the bottom rung in society. In fact, marriage was financial stability for women in that day. In fact, uh, men had all the rights. In fact, uh, they were the landowners. Women were not allowed to own land. Uh, men were all the business owners. Women weren't allowed to own a business or a shop. In fact, uh, in the marketplace, the women, if they wanted to sell their goods, would either have to work out an arrangement with another owner who was a man who would very often uh, take an exorbitant cut of the profits. Uh, they were always mistreated. In fact, women, even if they had children, when their husband died, the women would lose their kids. The kids would literally be sold immediately as slaves. And so this woman is, beyond a doubt, she's poor. I mean, she's very poor. Um, kind of a side note I thought I would mention here, too, is uh, widows have been with us throughout history. In fact, we see it in this story, but uh, we have them today as well. In fact, um, one of the things I'm proud of in our community is our, our global partners all have an interest in caring for the widows and the orphans and those who are disenfranchised, and I wanted to make a mention of it because next week we have a mission team going out with our partner, Bridge of Hope, to Guatemala. And uh, it's too late to sign up. The, the trip's already full, but I'm excited for our, our group going from Bridgeway, and I can't wait to hear the stories because the stories that I've been a part of when I've gone on the trip are always just fascinating to, to see and to experience uh, the level of poverty and, and to really experience what I would call the, the prayer of the widow. I mean, these widows, even in Guatemala, they have nothing to this day, and, and we get to go and play a small part in answering their prayers. We build homes, and we come alongside of a feeding program that we started a number of years ago, and we get to do this. It's another opportunity to be graceful in the giving we have all around the world. But in this story, I think there are two observations, and the first one that I wanted to point out is this, that God notices what you and I give. And you might not like that point very much. Like, that might be the uncomfortable part about this story is Jesus is watching and therefore God is watching. And yet, why does this surprise any of us? I mean, of course God notices. God is God. God is all those omnis, right? He's omnipresent and he's omniscient. He's all-knowing and all-powerful in every place at all times. And so it shouldn't surprise us, but maybe we need a reminder that when it comes to our giving, that God is always noticing our care for being graceful with our giving. And again, as I said in the beginning, this isn't guilt giving. This is grace giving. This isn't a shakedown. This is, this is stewardship. This is how it works. And I think that God has always wanted his people to understand this rhythm, that this rhythm is actually more about how you can live in good health with all of your possessions. And so even from the very beginning, in the beginning of God's people, the Israelites, 
Uh, God would teach this idea of giving back. In fact, kind of the whole idea of a tithe comes from the Old Testament. And the word tithe just simply means 10%. And that seems simple and straightforward, one in 10, everything you have, one-tenth of it back to God. And yet people, even to this day, they get so confused by this language, a tenth. In fact, one of the questions I get the most, if someone will ever ask me about how much to give, is someone will say, well, pastor, do I need to be like they were in the Old Testament? Do I have to give 10% of all my wealth back to the church? And part of the wrinkle with that is it was far more than 10% for those first followers of God. In fact, it's 10% if you were only to give on one occasion, uh, but the Israelites actually gave on multiple occasions. In fact, they gave closer to about 23% of their income. I'll kind of nerd out on this for just a moment because I think it's interesting and, and hopefully this will help you understand it better. But the whole idea of a tithe is the fact that they would make these collections on multiple times. There would be offerings throughout the year that would be taken. If you're reading through the Old Testament, you'll come across this in places like Numbers 18 and all throughout the book of Exodus. And there's three offerings chiefly that are taken. The, the priestly offering, this was 10%, and it was your first fruits. So if it was livestock, you would give your first of your animals. If it was grain, you would give the first of your, of your harvest. If it was you know, your financial resources, the first of your coins. And this always went to the Levites. The Levites were the priests in that day. They were essentially the temple workers. They, they operated the church. Um, it's basically how they made their living. The Levites couldn't own land or didn't have any other jobs, so it basically paid for and provided uh, for the priests. The second offering, though, that was taken was the sacred feast offering. And this was another 10% that they would give of their first fruits. And this would go to fund three festivals throughout the year, Passover, Pentecost, and the Festival of the Tabernacles. And it's kind of interesting, in this whole conversation of, of being generous, part of God's desire is that we would also be in community with one another. These were festivals. These were times where people spent together celebrating the goodness of God as a community. And so they would gladly give to support that. And finally, the last 10% is probably what you think about when you think of your giving. That 10% would go towards benevolence. And this would be to care for the least of those among them, the widows, the orphans, the foreigners in that day. But this one was always only collected once every third year. So I went to public school, but if I do the math on that, 10%, 10%, plus 10% every third year, about 23% that was given on an annual basis. Some of you are like, Can't we just go back to thinking it was 10%? That was a lot easier, right? It was far more. And it was this already this rhythm being established that all that you have is a gift from God. All that you have is to be stewarded. God owns it all, and you have this opportunity to steward it properly. And now Jesus comes along, and he comes along into this system where they would have followed this to a T. In fact, in another place in Scripture, Jesus talks about how some of them were so religious that they would even tithe out of their spice rack. Like if they had spices, they would make sure 10% of their spices would go to the church. And Jesus comes along and he notices there are many people that are doing this correctly. 10%, 10%, every third year, 10%. And he sees all this large collection of money. He knows that there are rich people that are giving, but it's the widow that catches his attention. In fact, I think Jesus knows that for some, if we're honest, 10% isn't very much. I mean, if you have a lot and you've only got to give 10% of it, it doesn't, really, it doesn't really feel like you've given. But for this widow, there's a different reality because she gives of all that she has. 
In fact, um, Jesus is paying such close attention, and I think it's interesting. It would have been a public thing. They would have all seen this woman do this um, because their offering was sort of taken in a public way. In fact, uh, this is sort of an artist's rendition of, what, of the way in which they gave. They called them these uh, 13 trumpet-shaped giving boxes. It looks more like a beaker, if you ask me. Uh, but it was trumpet-shaped at the top. And doing some research on this, it was really interesting. The, the way they would do this is the people would kind of roll their money in at the top of this trumpet. And, and the more you had, like the louder the noise would make as the money collected at the bottom. Sort of like, see, look at me, high roller, big giver in the church. And they're all making these large donations. But it's this woman giving these small, this small amount. It's kind of interesting in a way, you know, we... We actually probably today are, are more biblical with our giving than we were even just a few years ago. I don't know if you've noticed something, if you've been in the church for a while, but something is missing in the service now, right? There's no passing of the plate. Do you remember when we used to do that? That was so 2019, right? Remember when we used to do that? And it's funny, it always kind of struck me as odd that we would use language even, well, it's now it's time to take the offering. And, and truly, we don't ever want to take your offering. We want you to give your offering. And that's why I love the way we do it now. You heard Pastor Mike mention that there are giving boxes out in the hallway. They're not trumpet-shaped. They're safe-shaped. And, you know, you can put your money in them. And, and we don't take your offering. You have an opportunity to, to freely give it to God. Kind of interesting, this whole thing of, like, passing the plate. I was laughing this week, like, I mean, was there anything good that came out of COVID? Well, not passing the plate is one of them. In fact, uh, I did some research on this. We've only been passing the plate for like literally the past hundred years. Get this, they only started passing the plate uh, when a church in Virginia thought it would be a really good idea to like have people pay for their pews in the church. Can you imagine that? And you would literally pass the plate so that the people could pay for their pew. And uh, the most expensive pews, you want to guess where they were? <laughs> They were right up front. Those are the high rollers, the ones we can't give away today. Uh, those are the ones that people most desired. In fact, the whole phrase, the cheap seats are in the back, that was because you didn't have to pay to stand in the back of the church. It's kind of interesting. And here we have this. I mean, you would have never, churches would have never gotten rid of passing the plate had it not been for COVID and for the fear of spreading germs and all those things. And I look at it now, and I, I guess I just I kind of marvel at the reality that, you know, we, we'll always see the, the methods change, right? But the heart and the opportunity to be generous will always be instilled inside of us. And I think, you know, you can kind of already see the way in which the financial markets are moving. And, and I'll be honest with you, I mean, most people, 75% of the giving in the church happens because someone scans that little QR code on the seat in front, or, or like my wife and I, we, we give through online bill pay through our bank, and so we just direct Bridgeway as one of, our, you know, one of our donations, and it's just so much easier that way to do. The methods will always change. But Jesus notices this woman, and, and he notices especially that she places these two copper coins. They would have looked something like this. They would have been literally the smallest of, uh, of coins in the Roman Empire, um, they were literally a fraction of a penny. I believe two of them were one sixty-fourth of a penny. I mean, you think about that. She would have dropped these in, and no one would have heard them. They wouldn't have made any noise at all. And that, that's the beauty of this story. Because not only does God notice what we give, I, I think the real lesson, I think the real point to make with this is when it comes to sacrificial generosity, it's much more about our sacrifice 
over the amount. It's far more important to God the amount of sacrifice in our giving. The attention is not on the size of the gift, but on the size of the sacrifice. That's what gets Jesus' attention. And I think it still does. As I said, with our money, we've always got the opportunity to tell one of three stories. We can always tell the story of, uh, of how we spent our money or how we saved our money or how we invested our money in the kingdom that God has called us to steward and to be a part of. I saw just a few examples of this even just this week. And, and the first was, um, I told you before, I've been kind of, uh, you know, watching these comedians lately. And one of them that's caught my attention is Jim Carrey. He's so eccentric. He's a great comedian and actor. And he's quite a painter and an artist. And I noticed in the headlines that he listed his $29 million home mansion in Los Angeles. It's actually in the Brentwood neighborhood. I've driven by that area, and it's all gated, and it's incredibly expensive, kind of the high-rent district in L.A. And sure enough, he's selling this mansion with all its tennis courts and, and pools, and, and for, you know, if you got like a spare $29 million laying around, you can put in an offer on his home. But what struck me as so odd is in the commentary, when he was asked why he was selling the home, he just simply admitted that he had too many homes. And he didn't spend very much time at this mansion in L.A. And so he wanted someone else to enjoy it. And I read that, and on the surface, that seems certainly very noble, and he's entitled to do what he wants. But I, I thought in my own life, is that the story that I want my money to tell? You know, you know just the, the stuff I've accumulated and the toys that I, I, I've bought or sold, or is there maybe a better way to live with my possessions? Reminded me of another guy that I've uh, respected and appreciated, and I've had some time to read through his, his life story, and that's uh, the life of John D. Rockefeller. And he would have been a, a late 1800s, early 1900s individual who made all of his money in the uh, oil industry. In fact, a, a huge oil prospector um, kind of built America on the oil uh, foundation, and also a huge philanthropist. But it was estimated that John D. Rockefeller's net worth was about 663 billion dollars. Now, to put that in perspective, Bill Gates, founder of Microsoft, uh, worth about 60 billion. So he's, he's a tithe to John D. Rockefeller. I find that as funny. Just a ton of assets and resources. And he was very clear, very clear about his faith. Uh, Rockefeller would say, God gave me money, and he did not apologize for it. In fact, he lived by this Wesleyan principle of gain all you can, save all you can, and then give all you can. He always gave from his paycheck 10% to his church. It, it was estimated that he gave somewhere around $540 million away over his lifetime. And again, this was back in the 1900s. I, I did just a rough calculation based on inflation. That's like $11 trillion in today's money that he gave away. He lived by this 10-10-80 plan. You've probably heard this before. It's this idea of, you know, save 10%, give 10%, and then live off the 80. And maybe that's a great place and a great way for you to consider kind of like how you budget and how you finance your resources. Because giving is always about living and beyond what we can acquire for ourselves. I want to close with one last story. And it's a story from a, a number of years ago. In fact, it was when we were uh, a church just starting out and we were over at East Rockford Middle School, kind of our, our days of setting up and tearing down and, and just the, the fatigue that had on our community. And, and the question of, will we ever have a church home of our own? And we've actually now had two church homes. We had our, our building on Northland Drive and then moved over here as well. And, and when we were in that 
middle school context, I remember getting so many questions about, hey, when are we going to build a building? And when are we going to have a church of our own? And, and we went down that path, and it was, it was challenging. I describe it as, as like pushing a semi up a hill. And then you get to the top of the hill, and you have to pick the semi up and throw it on top of another hill. That's how hard it was to make the financials and the model work. And God just really led that way. But we started a capital campaign process, and, and there were so many stories of just generosity and giving, but one uh, that I'll share was from a very young boy. In fact, he was uh, about eight years old, and he was part of our J Seekers children's ministry, and, and he kept hearing that we were going to you know, move into a new building, and, and he so badly wanted to have a church building of his own that he would start bringing money to church every Sunday, and the children's ministry director would say, like, what do I do with all this change? I'm like, well, just we'll collect it. We'll put it in our, our capital campaign fund, and it'd be like 51 cents and a $1.82. It'd be all this random change. And, and yet every week, he would just bring in a couple bucks or some change. And, and one Sunday, his dad caught me in the hallway, and he says, how long are we going to be on this you know, capital campaign? I said, I don't know. It could be a couple years. He goes, well, we got to get this done because this kid is sucking me dry. He's like emptying out my wallet, my change bin, going through my car. And I just, I'll never forget that story because I think that's the way we're supposed to live. Maybe like a child again. You know, where we just kind of have this realization that it's, it's all our fathers. It's all our heavenly fathers. And he gives it to us. He gives us an opportunity to steward what we've been entrusted with. In fact, I love the way uh, Paul picks up on this in 2 Corinthians. This is kind of the New Testament grace-giving model. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's really a, a matter of the heart, and what God wants is he wants your heart to be full of cheer and full of joy as you choose, with his help, to decide how to give, how to be generous, how to be filled with the grace of God. And about Give that grace away. I think there's so much joy in this church, and there's so much excitement about what, is God, what God is doing. I just, every week, I just get excited about who else can be a part of this vision and this mystery that God is weaving into our context. I want to pray for you this morning, and the team's going to join us here, and we're going to uh, just have a few moments to just pray and to just reflect on our hearts and our, our lives before God. So if you would bow your heads, and if you would pray with me, please. God, I thank you for this example. I, I thank you for the ways in which it, it shakes me and convicts me. I thank you for the way in which this widow and her sacrifice convicts me to, to want to give and to want to give from the heart in ways in which we may never know the impact, God. And so I just pray and just, as that text says, I just want to, our church to be a place of cheerful giving, not under any compulsion or any type of guilt, but just to be cheerful. And may you take that, God, may you take that in the little ways, just like this widow, and use it to multiply to expand your kingdom. God, I'm so grateful for the people that are here today and their heart to get to know you and to live out this rhythm. And so we thank you and we praise you and we turn our hearts to you now. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or our website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the sermon discussion guide. 